Be right back. From the studio in Sun City, Arizona Boomer Radio presents Wealth DNA with Ron the Ronald Naraki. Wealth DNA gives you insights and methods for increasing your net worth. Ron's experience dealing with local and international markets give him insights that can be valuable to any investor. Now here's the host of the show, Ron Naraki. Hello and welcome to the Wealth DNA Radio Show. We're honored that you're joining us today. Now those living in the U.S. will learn something very important or maybe several things. It's very timely information. Those living in other countries will have a chance to contrast the new health care system being tested, and I like the word tested for this, versus the system they have where they live. Many countries have a national health care plan, and of course the U.S. learned from them, right? Well, we'll find out. Our topic today is the new U.S. Health Care Act, also known as Obamacare, also known as the Non-Affordable Care Act, all sorts of names we'll hear. Our objective is not either to praise nor to criticize what this program is nor what's happening during the rocky start, but to share what you need to know today. Incidentally, our guest has several suggestions that just might save you a few dollars. Those tips are already helping me, so make sure you have a notebook and pen or be a very good typist. I always love when people use their uh, iPhones and all of that and trying to take uh, notes. Uh, But if it works for you, that's fine. Just make sure you get these tips. Now, I think that regardless of where you live, you'll have heard plenty or even too much recently about the new health care exchange website, so we don't need to spend time on that. The only comments I'll make are those not mentioned in the news. If such a publicly announced major new system failed so badly in the corporate world where I spent most of my career, the project managers would be fired immediately. The company's PR people would be working along with the media on damage control. Secondly, no one can say that there aren't other countries and other systems in place that the U.S. could have learned from. For some reason, in government, there's less accountability and less incentive to reduce costs and reinvention, since the cost and the ultimate suffering is not the government's problem. For that matter, most of the key people in the U.S. government will never have to log in to the website that's having problems, nor will those people ever even use the health care plan. Interesting, isn't it? It's the taxpayers who bear the cost and all the consequences of you don't like repeat offenders. Stop voting for them. Before you, before we bring in our guests, I'd like to put this topic in context, as I often do. In addition to the financial impact on individuals and businesses which have to buy or change the health insurance policies, you see, all savers and investors will be impacted by this legislation. How? Well, I can assure you, all other listeners that, uh, regardless of where you are, you will be affected. If you're like me, you're being forced to buy health insurance or will have a cost increase. And you need find, and we, you and I, need to find ways to reduce other costs to compensate for that. We'll cover some of those ideas today. Now, on the investment side, which all of us are involved, we we know there will be a long-term impact due to the shift of spending. Now, which industries will be winners and which will be losers? I certainly don't know yet, but understanding what's changing as a result of this legislation is a key first step. We plan to bring on healthcare sector analysts in the future to discuss that. We certainly know that individual healthcare consumers, you know, using those that use healthcare and healthcare insurance, like you and I, and taxpayers in the U.S. will be impacted. Now, my bias is that impact will be negative, but I certainly hope I'm wrong. All the evidence I've seen so far 
supports my concerns. Today is November 25th, 2013. It is 9.04 a.m. in Arizona. It's 11.04 a.m. on the East Coast and 17.04 in continental Europe. And by the way, continental Europe, almost each country has some sort of national health plan. It's the only day ever like it, so we'll do everything possible to make it a good one. You're listening to the Wealth DNA Radio Show. I'm your host, Ron Naraki. The show airs every second and fourth Monday at 9 a.m. in Arizona. Now, we certainly hope you can join us each time we air, but if you miss a show, you can find it on the archives. Just go to wealthdna.com. US, where we list each of the shows, both upcoming and archived. Now, we welcome your comments and questions during the show. Now, given the number of questions I already have for our guests, and it's probably a record number, I recommend you use the chat window below the radio player. And my producer has assured me that it is up and running. Of course, I trust him, but I haven't opened it up yet. Yep, it is definitely there. So I encourage you to use that chat window if you have some questions. We'll make sure we fit those in. Or it may be that it is on my list of questions. You can call in. The call-in number is 917-388-4162. It's also shown at the top of the screen. Now, the U.S. equity markets, after setting their 37th record high this year, at least on the S&P 5, That was just Friday. We're off to a positive start. Asia was mixed and pretty dramatically up and down. Europe is positive and Brazil is down about 1%. It's pretty dramatic. Now, our special guest today to cover health care reform and you is June Schaefer. And let me spell her last name since we had a typo in the original posting. S-H-A-F-F-E-R. With uh, Arizona Lifelines, she has lived and traveled throughout the U.S. and Europe. Compliments of the U.S. Air Force. June has degrees in English and education and worked in the telecom industry until she moved to Arizona in 1992 when she shifted into insurance. Now, she writes articles for the industry, does public speaking on this topic, and really has a lot of information to share with us today. Incidentally, the uh, generally accepted definition of an Arizona native of anyone who stayed in Arizona at least three summers. And if you've been here in the summer, you know why. So I'd consider June an Arizona native. Let's give June Schaefer a warm radio welcome. June, so glad you could be uh, willing to join us soon after a trip. And I know what that's like because I just got back last night. Welcome, June. Good morning, Ron. How are you? Excellent, excellent. I gave a a brief overview of your background. How do you introduce yourself to new people? I I just usually say my name is June and I work in the insurance industry. And, then and I let them uh, hide your wallet. There. Hide, hide your wallet. wallet. It's kind of like in, insurance agents or brokers or anybody in the insurance industry, we immediately think of lawyers and insurance people and watch your wallets, right? No, I'm, of course I'm joking. Now, from what I sensed, and we've worked together pretty uh, uh, intensely over the last few weeks, you're somewhat frustrated over this whole health care industry upheaval, am I correct? Well, I think everybody is. If there had been one very specified plan and one plan of action and not so many changes and not the tremendous amount of convolutedness that we've experienced, it would have been a very easy transition from that standpoint. The websites having problems. A lot of people that I have run into believe this bill was repealed and don't believe that it affects them. So it's interesting, the inordinate amount of of inaccurate knowledge out there. Well, and your job today is to help us know what we need to do to minimize that pain and frustration. Now, Arizona Lifeline is a pretty broad name for your company. How did that name get picked? Well, health is considered a line of insurance under the heading of life insurance, just like disability. And so we represent many different carriers, and we also work with Medicare products, immigration and international plans, as well as specialty items. So we use the word lines, and we are a line of health. Some people have called us in the past thinking that we were a suicide crisis line or that we sold boat rope, which I had to think about. But, yes, lifelines, I can understand where that that comes from. It's worth a chuckle now and then. Okay, now if somebody wanted to contact you, because I want to make sure we get this out, what's the best way they do that? Is it by email, by phone, and we can, can you pass that on to our listeners? These days, with our call volume, I would say email is mm-hmm. probably really faster, and I'm going to be able to get back to it faster with a more complete answer. And that email address is june at arizona life 
lifelines.com, and that's Arizona Lifelines with an S at the end, dot com, or my phone number, which is 623-435-5511. But if I get calls this week on that number, I'm going to have to call those people back in all likelihood. Absolutely. No, very hectic is what we're going to find out very shortly here as we go through these topics. Uh, now, there's so many aspects we need to cover, but let me start with what's the official name of what everybody thinks of as Obamacare? What's the official name of this new legislation? The Affordable Care Act. That is okay, the official so name. And as a lot okay. of people are finding out, it's not as affordable as they were led to believe. Okay, but Affordable Care Act is the official name, so Obamacare is kind of a uh, nickname, and Non-Affordable Care Act is is probably a uh, non-positive nickname. But okay, Affordable Care Act, we'll try to uh, refer to it as that throughout the show. Now, who will be affected by this uh, Affordable Care Act? And the perception, of course, is that people will, you know, only people like me that don't have insurance are affected, but is that really true? Ultimately, just about everybody is going to be affected. If somebody is grandfathered, meaning the plan that they are on at this time went into effect prior to March 23rd of 2010, then assuming that that carrier does not discontinue those plans or discontinue doing business in a specific state, that person should be able to keep that plan as long as they want. But for anyone whose plan went into effect after March 23rd of 2010, they are going to have to deal with health care reform sometime between now and next December 31st of 2014. And, of course, if somebody is Medicare eligible, this does not affect them at this time. It's predominantly the under age 65 group. Okay, so the young folks under 65 as opposed to the young folks over 65. Understand? Exactly. Now, even the uninsured, I can break down it because everybody talks about the uninsured as if they're this big one lump group that's been, you know, unfairly treated by the insurance industry. But, you know, I can think of at least three categories within that. One is those that do have pre- pre-existing conditions and they couldn't buy insurance in the past or it was very, very expensive. Uh, the people that couldn't afford insurance. And then there are people like myself that are self-insured that just basically say, I can afford to pay for my own health care, uh, and rather than giving the insurance company the premiums, I will uh, invest those and have that money available when I need it. So, I, you know, there, there are a different bunch of people in that group. Have they ever analyzed that, or they just kind of throw everybody in one bucket and say, hey, if you're, don't, if you're you know, not currently insured, you're dying to have insurance, and therefore we're helping everybody? Well, I think they kind of lump-summed everybody in this because there are a lot of people out there who truly believe that health insurance is as optional as any other benefit they have and that they have a right to say, no, I don't want it. With regard to those who have pre-existing condition, Mm -hmm. there are all kinds of health coverage plans available to people who have not been able to qualify for insurance. And insurance is not synonymous with health coverage. It's just another method by which to get health coverage. In the past, insurance has always been about risk, just like car insurance or health insurance. If you posed a risk, you did not get insurance. But Mm -hmm. that didn't mean you could not get health coverage. They are not always the same. And people have to take responsibility whenever they can for their general health you know, keeping their weight at a reasonable rate, getting exercise, eating healthy, not drinking too much, not smoking. These are all risk factors, and, of course, insurance is based on risk factors. Now it's going to be a level playing field other than tobacco usage because most carriers will continue to rate up if somebody is a tobacco user. And many very healthy consumers are very upset that they are now going to have to pay the same rate as the guy who is on eight medications and 60 pounds overweight, who maybe smokes and has multiple medical conditions, many preventable through better health practices. And while some health issues are not within our control, many are, and now the carriers cannot consider health style or lifestyle in determining what their risk factors are. And there's, there's a certain amount of unfairness there, absolutely. Okay. Now, during those... Go ahead, go ahead. Now, then you ask about people who can't afford insurance. Okay, correct. Um, exactly. That was part of yeah. that group. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there are a lot of different plans out there. 
with a lot of different deductible ranges and a lot of different out-of-pocket maximums. And over the years, I've met many people who could not afford insurance. Uh, Many of them were already on Medicaid, Mm -hmm. but I met just as many who could have afforded it if they had given priority to the insurance. I had many young families tell me that their electronic toys and their sports cars and their RVs or their annual cruises were just a lot more important than giving their family health coverage. So sometimes it wasn't so much a matter of affording it as making it a priority. And then the third category you had was Mm -hmm. self-insurance. Correct. Self-insurance is great, but you really need to have a chunk of money put away that you have earmarked for health. And hopefully you'll never have to use it, but I would rather pay a few hundred a month and have a high deductible and use the insurance carrier's money than my own for anything major. A four-day stay in the hospital today runs well over $80,000 and a double bypass over 100000 And I tell people, if you can handle the small stuff, then get a high deductible or a catastrophic mm-hmm. plan, but get something and make sure it is real insurance and not a fixed indemnity or a limited liability or a discount plan. It has to be true, compliant, major medical. And if you're not sure if it is true insurance, go on the Department of Insurance website and look up who are the insurance carriers doing business in Arizona. Very, very important. Well, there's a couple tips right there. Hopefully everybody listened to that piece uh, very carefully. And, of course, they can go back if they miss some of those in you know bits, but very clearly uh, find out what really is insurance. And, of course, these high-deductible plans are an affordable way to get at least covering the big stuff, as you said. Now, during the sales pitches by the administration to get support for this uh, Affordable Care Act, they said that if you like your insurance, you can keep it. Now, we know that's not necessarily true. Is there a guess? Do you have a guess as to how many guests or an estimate how many people have gotten canceled or what percentage of people have gotten canceled despite uh, liking their health insurance? That's a hard call. We do know that people are getting canceled in different states. When he first, Let me go back for a second. When he first sure. made the comment that you could keep your insurance... He made that comment originally in either late 2008 or early 2009. And if your plan was in effect at that time and you still have it, you don't have to change. You can keep your policy. The problem was he kept saying it. And if your plan started after the mandate was signed in March of 2010, you cannot keep that plan beyond a certain date. I honestly don't have a great idea because those instant cancellations that are occurring in many states are not happening in Arizona. I mean, somebody cannot keep their plan beyond their renewal or anniversary date, but the vast majority of people in Arizona are not being dropped as of January 1st unless they were on PCIP, the now-defunct pre-existing condition insurance plans that the feds created in 2010 that went broke. Um, or Healthcare Group of Arizona, or maybe a HIPAA plan, these people, of course, are going to go on a new plan in January. But I would say that the number of people whose plans are actually being canceled as of January 1st are less than 15%. Most of them are going to be canceled sometime during the calendar year, meaning at that point in time you would have to deal with health care reform. Unless you deal with it now, If you are in good health and you can apply for a plan right now and get a December effective date, you would be able to keep that plan all the way through to the tail end of 2014, which would put off having to deal with Obamacare until until 2015. Okay, there's another important tip. So let me cover two things. Or let me just summarize a couple of things you just brought up, uh, one a little bit earlier, which is this grandfather concept. And that date, as I wrote it down, is March 23rd, 2010. So if your policy was in effect before that, um, I'm assuming even if you got a cancellation notice, you can then uh, argue that they are violating that grandfather uh, clause in there. Uh, and then secondly, that if... Uh, you do have some cancellation coming up. You can set up a new policy as long as it's effective in 2013. And as you know, June, of course, I'm doing just that to um, to at least have a year's worth of a little bit cheaper insurance than it's likely to be in the future. Yes, uh, so very, very good points. Yes, I over the weekend. 
<laughs> ah, okay. Well, you know, that's the problem when I travel. I haven't seen all of this stuff. So I'll, 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 be, I'll be seeing all of that. Appreciate that. Now, uh, are there some officially grandfathered policies being canceled, though? Have you heard of any of those cases? I, I don't know whether they're grandfathered. I've, I've, I know a number of people had their insurance policy canceled as of December 31st, but I haven't asked more details. So I'm just curious, have you run into any grandfathered being canceled? Yes. We have, but it's not a widespread occurrence. One carrier out of Illinois is withdrawing from the major medical market as of April 1st. And if a carrier isn't going to service their plans, they technically have to go away. Another very local carrier is moving everyone from their regular plans on January 1st to the healthcare compliant equivalent plans that they offer on January 1st. So they're not technically dropping those people, they're just Mm. moving them. But we are hearing of many plans through different government-affiliated retirement programs that are canceling their programs as well. So it just depends on what kind of program you're on, what your government affiliation was. Um, Anybody on a major medical plan should have received a letter from their current carrier indicating how they are going to handle renewals, um, such as Golden Rule and Humana, who in many instances are extending their plan years to the end of 2014. A couple of other major carriers like Blue Cross are considering doing this, but nothing has been definitely decided upon. But this would put off the consumer having to deal with the mandate and the higher premiums for Mm -hmm. another year. Exactly, when things may get sorted out. And, of course, things are still changing, but I think you just made a really, you know, kind of emphasize the point that many more people are being affected than just those that didn't have insurance in the past. So there's some good examples. You know, you have cancellations. You have people's policies being transferred to new compliant policies. number of things that you do need to be aware of what's really happening on your own policy. Now, June, I also see some doctors being dropped by insurance companies. Again, it may not be a common case, uh, but I saw, where you know a whole group of doctors or or you know uh, a healthcare insurance plan almost shifting all of the doctors they were having to a new group of doctors uh you know is that uh, again a normal occurrence every year because I don't watch that or is it a result of this uh, affordable care act ooh good question what i've heard are not doctors specifically being dropped from insurance carriers but from PPO networks. And what a lot of consumers don't understand is that every carrier uses a PPO network, and it is the PPO network. PPO, just make sure that PPO, Preferred Provider Organization, where you can go to any doctor anywhere. I mean, they're on a list, but you don't have to pre-select one doctor and go to that doctor for everything. So Mm -hmm. your PPOs, which are what most of the insurance carriers in Arizona are, and in most states as well, Every carrier uses a PPO network, and the doctors actually have their contracts with the PPO network. So when a doctor says, I only get paid X amount by a carrier, it's actually the PPO network who determines how much he gets paid. It's not the insurance carrier. There are PPO networks that are dropping certain provider groups, if you will. Mm -hmm. That would Mm -hmm. be a good way to explain that. But... A carrier doesn't drop doctors. The PPO networks can drop doctors. And every doctor and every provider, laboratory, emergency room, hospital, they all have contracts with PPO networks. And the PPO networks may be dropping providers around the country. But every doctor, every provider actually signs a contract on an annual year saying, I want to participate with you for another year. Many more providers don't renew their contracts than ever get dropped by the provider network. So this is not a widespread concept right now. Okay, but again, another change that could occur, you've been working with a doctor you really like, and it could be that uh, he drops out or they drop that uh, that doctor. So again, something that uh, you need to be aware of that uh, may change uh, your, the way you do insurance. Now, what's your prediction? Uh, you know, Many doctors are baby boomers, so we knew many years ago the AMA didn't want to admit to it that uh, they had a problem with uh, the inflow of, of new medical professionals until obviously there was a nursing shortage and even doctors, then they started admitting that they had been not bringing enough to doctors. Anyway, but will there be more students wanting to become doctors as a result of this ACA or less interested in medicine as a result of the Affordable Care Act? I- 
I think that if somebody really wants to go into the medical field, they're going to go into that field regardless of what is happening. I don't think, unless it's just the sheer cost of going to medical school in these tough economic Mm -hmm. times, I really don't think that we're going to see much of a decrease in the number of people going into medicine at all. Okay. Let me remind our listeners you're listening to the Wealth DNA Radio Show. I'm your host, Ron Naraki, and I look forward to you joining us every second and fourth Monday. Now, if you've missed some of the prior shows, you want to re-listen to them, we maintain an archive of shows as well, of course, as letting you know future shows on wealthdna.us. You can always find the links to all of the shows upcoming and archived. Now, if you didn't get an email reminder of the show, you can do one of two things. You can send an email to me, Ron, at wealthdna.us keep you posted about your future shows and events we send that out two announcements prior to each show and in the upper left hand side of the screen just under the boom and the babes picture follow there's a follow button just click that button and they will keep you posted about great shows like this one now reminder during the radio show we welcome you our listeners to uh, go ahead and, and let us know what you'd like to know about if we're missing some topics or there are some particular ones you want to make sure we cover just go ahead and use the chat window under the radio player. Just go ahead and make your comments there, and uh, we will incorporate them in here. Our topic today is health care reform and you, with our special guest, June Schaefer, with Arizona Lifelines. June, a very key question. What's really changed under the new rules versus the older policies? Well, maternity and mental health are now going to be covered on all policies, And if somebody wants to know one of the reasons premiums are so much higher, you have to understand that maternity as an optional benefit added to a plan in the past usually raised the average premium by about 100% just for that one benefit. So if you're a female age 40 to 65, well, too bad. You don't have the option of saying, hey, remove that benefit. I don't need it. Basic dental coverage for children is being added, whether you have children or not. And one carrier is actually separating their plans into dental or non-dental, but only if the parent can prove that the child has a true dental insurance plan already in effect. All pre-existing conditions must now be covered. That is probably the biggest change. And preventative wellness is covered also, but preventative wellness has been covered at no cost on all plans that went in effect after March of 2010 anyway. Okay, so those are the key changes, and I am very glad that now at uh, both my age and, and uh, as a male that I'm not covered for maternity. I never know when uh, it's, you know, the thing could happen. that I'll end up pregnant, so it should be interesting. Appreciate the You'll government. You'll be rich if you do. <laughs> that's right, that's right, but I appreciate the government picking up the cost for that or forcing the insurance company to pick up that cost. But, now, but you know, using that as kind of a, a, a comical um, segue, but when we add certain things like that to policies, uh, that'll raise the cost for insurance companies. So how can this new legislation reduce the cost of insurance as the government had promised over a 10-year window or something like that? I'm not I'm not sure I understand. Do we expect to see them reduce the cost well, over a 10-year window? What, sure, that's what we're told that uh, this healthcare insurance will, you know, this healthcare change will pay for itself after 10 years the the uh, effect on the government and the government spending will actually be lower. I mean, that's what the whole promise was in signing this act uh, back in 2010. So, uh, yeah, that you know, that's the expectation all of the voters who, you know, wanted this uh, and thought this was a great idea. That was part of the platform. We're going to save, you know, X number of billions of dollars by uh, putting this plan in place. So uh, I'm starting to sense you don't think that's going to happen. I don't think this health care plan will be around in five years. And ah, as, for its afford- yeah. as for its affordability, there's a lot of question marks there, too, because people who are going to qualify for subsidies are going to have these subsidies paid in advance by the government to the carriers. A lot of carriers are sitting back and watching to see how well that's going to work, especially in this economy. And with so many problems already, I I would be surprised if the landscape on the healthcare industry doesn't change several times over in the next several years. 
Okay. Now, some people will save money. If indeed we're not going to pay any attention mm-hmm. whether you're healthy or not, uh, I would assume those people that have major ailments uh, will ultimately have a little bit lower cost of policy. Uh, and, but uh, is that true? And then who will pay more? If you have a policy now and you were rated up on your premium because of pre-existing conditions, it is possible that the new plans coming out, even without a subsidy, may cost lower. If you qualify for a subsidy, then very definitely your insurance is going to cost less than it has in the past. Okay. And then if if we're going to balance this all out and in the end it's going to cost the government less, that would mean that the rest of us who aren't uh, either very uh, – uh, that are healthy, let me put it that way, or those that don't qualify for a subsidy, it sounds like we're going to pay more. We are, absolutely. And the Supreme Court came out last year and said that the Affordable Care mandate was really – an individual tax hike, and it was the largest individual increase in taxes in American history. When you take someone who has been paying, say, 250 a month for their insurance, maybe a $5,000 deductible, they don't make, they do make too much to qualify for a subsidy. Let's say they make 47,000 a year. Their premiums could very well be doubling under health care reform. And there's nothing they're going to be able to do about it from that standpoint because the rates are what they are. So many people are going to see their premiums double. I've already seen it with a number of clients. Many will get a subsidy and their premiums will go down. But there are a lot of people for whom these subsidies, while they may bring those premiums down, it may not be affordable for them giving all of their other expenses. So it's going to positively impact, I would say, less than 30% of the insurable country. And when I say that, if someone has been on Medicaid, they're still going to be on Medicaid. So from that standpoint, we're not seeing them impacted. But more people are going to be eligible for the new Medicaid program because Medicaid is being expanded on January 1st. The income levels are being increased. So many people who've been disqualified for Medicaid in the past will be qualified for Medicaid as of January 1st if their income is within a certain level. Hmm. That, that that sounds like more taxes as well. But you know, you just raised something. Let me let me digress for one second, kind of our, get our listeners to think about some of these concepts and how they relate to their investments. Uh, a few years ago, we had the government giving uh, first-time home buyers, you know, very strictly defined, uh, either sixty-five hundred or eight thousand dollars to buy a home, uh, kind of as this uh, tax credit. Uh, and the only thing was if you sold that house or you uh, left that house or defaulted on it or something like that, you would owe that back uh, if it was within five years. Well, interesting that uh, what you're saying is the same with the subsidies. So where we used to talk about liar loans, now so if somebody lies about what their income, it sounds like we may have subsidy scams where people will get a subsidy, uh, but then in the end it may turn out that they really weren't entitled to it, and now the government would have to try to claim back money from people that don't have. It. Uh, it'd be interesting if that will get cleared out with bankruptcy or not. So I, I didn't. I wasn't even thinking about that aspect. But I think you just raised another where we used to call them liar loans. Uh, after the fact, we may be calling this uh, subsidy scams after the fact. Well, one of the problems too is that even people who accurately estimate their income, because this is based on the 2014 income, right. many people are going to have to estimate because nobody can control their income that closely. So some people are going to get less subsidy than maybe they were entitled to. Some people will get more. If they get less than they're entitled to, the feds are supposed to be able to catch up with it down the road. Mm -hmm. If they get more, then they will take it back off of their income tax return. Yeah, it would be interesting if they have the money available by then. Let's talk about insurance agents versus brokers. We heard those terms. What's the difference between those? Basically, there's not a lot of difference. An agent normally is somebody who represents one or two or three products. A broker normally represents a broader line of products, maybe more carriers, more different types of products. But an agent can do what a broker does within the realm of the products that they represent. A broker simply generally has more products in their offering. 
Okay. Now, I've heard that government navigators were, were, were supposed to eventually replace all agents and brokers. Is that either true, and where does that stand? No, it's absolutely not true. A navigator gets 20 to 40 training hours, is not trained as an agent, is not licensed, does not have to meet compliance guidelines or carry errors and omissions insurance, which is sort of like a malpractice insurance for agents, doesn't have to be fingerprinted or background checked. So, no, navigators are not supposed to even try to act like agents. They are not supposed to recommend or discuss plans per se. They're meant to help navigate somebody through the system in a very clerical type mode. Okay, so the next time a government navigator tells me to help me with my insurance and uh, they may have a criminal background, I probably shouldn't give them my Social Security number, which they're going to say is absolutely required to move forward, right? It is required, yes, and it's a very scary (laughs) system right now. I think you just heard another tip, listeners. Now, let me let me kind of pull some as you, you mentioned a few uh, already, but I want to go through some of the key points I learned in working with you over the last, uh, I guess it's been a month or so. Uh, you gave me several tips, and they will ease the pain of having to pay for insurance, which I haven't been in the past. Let's share some of those tips with our listeners, and I'm going to walk through at least those that I remember. First of all, HSAs, uh, health uh, savings uh, accounts, are like an IRA for healthcare. And I was very aware of them, but I couldn't really have one for the last uh, 10 years or so since I've been self-insuring. But do all policies, if I go get any health insurance policy, does that allow me to now also get a health savings account? No. A A health savings account is set up in conjunction with a policy that is very specifically sold as being health savings account compatible. Just having a high deductible plan does not make it HSA compatible. It has to say right on the application and on the policy that your plan is HSA compatible. And it doesn't really have to be a high deductible. Many HSA plans start as low as $1,500 deductibles, which to many people is not a low deductible Mm -hmm. at all. It could be $1,500, it could be $2,500, it could be $5,000 but it does have to be sold very specifically as a health savings account compatible plan. If somebody goes out and sets up a savings account at the bank and tells the bank they're setting this up as a health savings account and they do not have an HSA policy, then that account cannot legally function as a health savings account. Okay. Now, an IRA, you have to have earned income. You can't just have income. So if you've earned 100000 in interest income, that's not earned income. It's passive income. Uh, but for an HSA, anyone can get that tax deduction even if there is, uh, if it's passive income, correct? So you don't have this earned income restriction to have an HSA. Well, you, the money that you put into the HSA mm-hmm. is going to be pre-tax dollars. So if you've right. already written this money off of your income tax, you cannot then put it into an HSA sure. account and write it off again. Sure. So it has to be technically taxable what income. we would call pre-tax dollars or mm-hmm. taxable income. And then once the money is put into the HSA account, then it is treated like an IRA, and the money is written off of your state and federal taxes as a pre-tax contribution to this type of program, and then it becomes taxable at the time that you take it out and you use it, unless it is used specifically for medical expenses. And that includes optical and dental, even if your health plan doesn't cover those. So Mm -hmm, long as mm -hmm. the money that you take out of that account is used for medically allowable expenses as defined by the IRS, then that money is always non-taxed. Okay, so it is as long as it's taxable income, but doesn't have to be earned income. There is a there's a very clear distinction. If any of our listeners have a problem with that, send me an email. I'll obviously uh, put something together, and that does give me an idea. By the way, June, thank you for we probably before year end. I need to put together a show talking about some tax tips, uh, some of the things I do. But this is very clear clear one because if you do set up your HSA and your new account this year, uh, which we're going to talk about here very shortly, then uh, you can put in your um, money for uh, for this year. Uh, the one thing we, we talked about is 
the healthcare exchange, if you're going to be getting a subsidy, you have to do it through the exchange. But if you don't know if you're getting a subsidy, do I have to go to the exchange and register with the IRS, as I jokingly call it, uh, and, and fight through the, the login problems, or can I get information on my eligibility for a subsidy in a different way? Yes. If you're not sure if you're going to get a subsidy or not, you just go to the Internet and in the browser window put in the words subsidy calculator. One of the first two or three items that will pop up will say Kaiser subsidy calculator. Pull mm -hmm. that up, and you can go ahead and do about a one-minute walkthrough, and it will help you determine if you get a subsidy or not. If you do not get a subsidy, you do not want to be going to the exchange for any reason. Okay, another important tip. Now, one of the other things you mentioned to me is that buying off of the exchange actually gives you a few more options because on, what, whoever is on the exchange, there is a regular carriers, but there are more carriers that decide or other carriers decided not to be on the exchange so that in essence, off of the exchange, you can get all of those that are on the exchange plus those that chose not to. So in essence, I have a broader option by working with a broker than going onto the exchange, correct? Yes, because most brokers are going to have access to all the plans that are available both on and off of the exchange. People believe that if it's available on the exchange, that it is less expensive. The price on the exchange is identical to the price off of the exchange. Legally, there can be no difference. It's just that if you qualify for a subsidy, you're going to be approved for that subsidy through the exchange, and you will buy a plan through the exchange. So it's only a lower cost if you qualify for a subsidy. The rate is what it is regardless. But there are more plans available through the carriers in Arizona off the exchange than are available on the exchange. Okay, very important tip. And then one you touched on, but I want to make sure that listeners understand this one because this is one I'm taking advantage of. Uh, let's say they do get their letter that says their policy is being canceled on December 31st, uh, but they can set up a new policy effective this year, correct? They could, in essence, cancel their other policy or leave two in place for, for a few weeks. But by setting one up this year, you're taking advantage of rates that are for 2000, that are, in essence, will, will work for 2014. Um, so what you're really saying is you have to have it in place and effective in 2013 to get the current rates as opposed to to the uh, ACA rates, correct? Yes. If somebody can make it through underwriting, meaning they don't have any significant pre-existing conditions, then they can apply with just about any carrier in Arizona, tell them that they would like to have a late December effective date, and so long as they can be approved, then that plan can be put in with 2013 premiums, and they can keep that policy till the end of 2014. Exactly. So you could be say if, if your policy does, let's say it goes up conservatively 50% um, under the uh, the new rules, you might save yourself that 30%, uh, 33% uh, versus by buying it this year. So there's an important tip could save you thousands of dollars by just doing that. So uh, that's no surprise that the phones at June's offices are running off the hook. And I apologize, but we're going to probably keep you a little bit longer, June, because I still have <laughs> a number okay. of great questions. I mean, these are important things for our listeners. I think this will be one of those shows that we'll have you know people on the archive and asking a lot of questions about uh, and we'll remind them at the end to use their email for that purpose uh, but there are different types of insurance clients and, and and basically it's by income level let's get one key thing addressed what do we mean by income level how do I determine my income levels at gross income net income after-tax pre-tax or what is my income level when I decide whether I apply for subsidies Medicaid or whatever else well, you're going to be looking at your taxable income, and for many people it is line 37 of the front page of their tax return. Okay. If somebody has a family member on their tax return and that family member collects Medicare, or I'm mm -hmm. sorry, Social Security, Social Security. Mm -hmm. and they may or may not be on Medicare, but they're collecting Social Security, even though Social Security is normally only taxed at 85%, for purposes of determining income under the Affordable Care Act, that Social Security is considered at 100%. Even though that person in the family may not be applying for a health plan, it is still part of the taxable income on the tax return. Child support is not taxable income, but spousal support is. Disability security income is not taxable. Income from dividends and interest, that is taxable. 
So it is what you actually pay taxes on that they are mm-hmm. looking for as being your taxable income level. Okay, so it's basically your AGI, but it is going to be modified or corrected on a number of factors which you need to know if you have any of those special cases with uh, uh, other income coming from the government. So very, very important point. I want to make sure people understand that because I, right from the beginning, that was one of my problems. I don't, you know, how do they count gross income? In my case, my, mine is so many different sources, it's very, very confusing. So AGI is your starting point unless you have those exceptions. Um, and now let's talk about the different people. So I don't know if I'm going to get a subsidy or not. I go and do that subsidy calendar, uh, that calculator, excuse me. But we've got low-income people that might apply for Medicaid. I mean, how, you know, so they are using this AGI and then some sort of formula that tells them if they qualify for Medicaid and, and whether they get a subsidy or no subsidy at all? Yes, and it's not a hard and fast dollar it, or, okay. or a dollar level. It is based on their age and it is based okay. on their zip code. A generalized figure would be if you're an individual in Arizona and your income is under 16000 you'll qualify for Medicaid. As a family of two, that figure could run nineteen to 22000 But when you go to that calculator and you put in the pertinent information, it will tell you whether or not you're eligible for Medicaid, in which case you call your local Medicaid office. You do not go through the exchange. If you're eligible for a subsidy, you want to call the exchange and do your application. Do not do it online. Call them. The waiting time periods are not more than 5 to 10 minutes. They are open 24-7 to take these applications from people. If you do not get a subsidy, then you call your broker. You do not go to the exchange. So if you're the type of person that can't figure out your tax uh, on your taxable income, uh, you know, looking it up easily in a table or do it in your head without a calculator, it sounds like you better go online and do this calculation. It sounds a lot more complicated in this case than even uh, normal tax returns. How about the tax penalty? We hear a lot about it, but people say, oh, it's not a big deal. This first year it's only $95 if you don't have insurance. So it might, a lot of people might be thinking, well, I can hold off. It's only $95, not a big deal. But it's actually dependent on your income level, correct? Yes. The tax penalty minimum is $95 per year. Okay. Per, per, well, it's 95 per adult and 47.50 per child or 1% of your adjusted gross income, whichever is greater. Now, the penalty itself is peanuts and it, it's inconsequential. What people don't understand is that health care reform is not insurance on demand. If you don't have insurance and you go into 2014 and you do not have insurance and now it's April or May or June and you realize you've got some health issues, you're not mm-hmm. going to be able to turn around and apply for insurance until the end of the year. Healthcare reform is going to use the open enrollment periods that Medicare uses on certain types of their products where you will okay. have between October 15th and December 7th every year to make application for an insurance plan if you do not already have one in effect. So if you don't have a plan in effect as of April 1st of 2014, then you're not going to be able to apply for one. You may get on one through a job, through an employer, or you may qualify for a short-term temporary plan. These are very good also, but you're not going to qualify for a full-board major medical plan if you are without coverage for more than 90 days in 2014 or you get to April 1st and you've had a 90-day or greater gap, you're going to have a problem. And that is a bigger penalty in the long run than $95. I understand. But nonetheless, even the $95, that's a minimal penalty. That is far from the real answer in most cases. Uh, So the advertising may not be true. And somebody on Medicare, you mentioned this briefly, uh, they really are not going to be penalized, and they don't have to really be worrying about Obamacare, correct? There are going to be some changes coming down the road for people on Medicare. It will affect the types of procedures they may be eligible to receive or the care that they get down the road, but that is not at this time, and right now the concentration is really on the underage 65 group. It is not on the Medicare-eligible group. Okay, this would be a good time to uh, tell our listeners who just tuned in. You're listening to the Wealth DNA Radio Show. I'm your host, Ron Naraki. If you missed the earlier part of the show, you can listen to the, uh, that portion on the archive 
or if you miss prior shows, same place, wealthdna.us. Today our special guest is June Schaefer, S-H-A-F-F-E-R, in case we still have it wrong in the posting, with Arizona Lifeline. She's located in Phoenix, Arizona. We're talking about health care reform and you. Now, June, just remind our listeners, if, they do, if they're not sure they qualify for a subsidy, they should be going to a subsidy calculator online, uh, Googling it, Yahooing it, or Binging it, or whatever their preference is, and ultimately it's the Kaiser Foundation's uh, subsidy calculator that you're, you're recommending they use, correct? Yes, because on that particular calculator, you can put in your specific state, and zip code, and it is going to give you that information. I do caution people when you're using that subsidy calculator. It will also tell you what it believes you should be paying for a premium. That is not necessarily accurate. Correct. Those numbers are for demonstration only because there is no way that calculator has of knowing what carrier you're going to select, what plan you're going to select, or what deductible. But it's going to give you the subsidy that you would be given once you get approved. If you have to go to the exchange to get your subsidy, you need to be aware that it takes five to ten days minimum to be approved for that subsidy. And you're not going to be buying your health policy until you've been approved for that subsidy because how much that subsidy is is going to affect what plan you might choose or what deductible level you might want. The way I view it is when you get onto the website, what you're really doing is registering with the IRS, and they take a little bit of time to make sure that they can go through all of capturing all of your information when you actually do start applying for insurance. Yes, the exchange is not the Amazon of insurance policies. It's not a shopping center. (laughs) That's right, exactly. Now, in my case, I can actually control... Um, taxable income quite a bit just because of the business I'm in and uh, my control over the the type of assets we invest in. But I don't qualify for subsidy today, uh, so I shouldn't be going to an exchange and in, in, uh, really anybody that doesn't qualify for subsidy, there's really no reason uh, from what you're saying is to go to the exchange, correct? Correct, yes. Okay. There are some state exchanges. Now, Arizona doesn't happen to have one, so anybody that's here locally uh, you know, may not be aware of it, but uh, other states have state exchanges. Uh, do you have some information, or do you track how some of them compare to the federal exchange? No, not really, other than the fact that a state exchange is probably going to work a lot more efficiently than the federal exchange mm-hmm. uh, for very obvious reasons. You know, Local and state is a lot easier than federal. We don't have a state exchange here, so when somebody goes to the federal exchange, they simply put in all the information relative to Arizona, and it acts about the same way it would have acted had we had one here. You cannot buy across state lines. People have asked me, if I go to the exchange, can I buy a cheaper plan out of another state? No, it still has to be a plan that is sold and marketed in Arizona and specifically in your regional area. Some carriers are not in every county of Arizona. Good point. And so therefore, therefore the zip code is fairly important in that. And as I understand, and not, not critical, but I understand Kentucky has actually done the best for our listeners in Kentucky. If you've been uh, going through that exchange and saying, well, I don't know what the heck they're griping about on, on the exchange, it actually works pretty well. Uh, just understand that I think the success rate in people signing up in Kentucky is somewhere around a million percent better uh, than anywhere else. So they've just done an outstanding job, I guess, on that site. Uh, but that is not typical. And, and as June just said, you can't. it doesn't mean you can go buy insurance in Kentucky and uh, plan to use it in some other state. Uh, all right. Now, one of the other key points, uh, is there, because I'm sure some people have the perception that if I buy it, uh, through an exchange, I'm going to save on uh, commissions and the broker or the agent, I don't, you know, they don't have to get paid, so therefore I'm going to get a cost savings by buying it directly from the exchange. And, and June is just telling us this information because, uh, you know, it's good for the insurance industry or something like that. Uh, is there any reason somebody should think that there's a cost savings from the exchange? No, there's no cost savings by going to the exchange. Your only cost savings, of course, would be your subsidy if you qualify for one. One thing we have seen is that the exchange has misposted the premiums for a number of carriers, and they're working on that. I've had people tell me they've gone to the exchange, and the quote that I gave them was $40 higher than the quote on the exchange, and I've called the carrier who said, no, they haven't misposted. The rate will be what are posted, what are published with the Department of Insurance rate is, and it's the rates the brokers are going to quote. 
and mm-hmm. the exchange is working on that. But I've also had a few people tell me they thought they saw higher rates with different carriers on the exchange. But there is no savings by not using a broker or an agent. The broker or the agent, they're easier to get hold of. They can help you. They are trained, licensed people who work with different products, and they can help walk you through this. Well, so what you're really saying is uh, they're working on it is the answer to most questions. We're working on that. Yeah, for the next several years. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Let's remind our listeners the best way to contact you, and and, and telephone is not necessarily the best, but let's do both. Let's both uh, remind them of the email address, especially those that just tuned in your email address, uh, which is a better way to contact you as well as your telephone number. My telephone number is 623-435-5511. Outside of Maricopa County, it is 888-543-5637. That number does not work in Maricopa County, only outside. And our email is june at arizonalifelines.com. Okay, and people outside of Arizona, chances are that June will not be able to respond to all of your emails, with, even though she has all of the information and her best attempts to uh, to try to help everybody. There is a good chance that you may get an answer in February once she catches up with the workload, but there's a huge <laughs> amount that has to be done literally in the next few days. So I'm not, um, you know, I'm, I'm kind of pre-warning people that, uh, you know, your workload is, is extremely tough, and I understand that and appreciate all the help you've done. June, we've covered a lot of topics, and I really appreciate the uh, the time and and the energy you've put into this show. What are some of the key points that we either missed or you'd like to emphasize? Well, one thing people need to realize is that time is moving very quickly. If and only if they need a plan that goes in effect in January, they need to be doing something now. If they don't need a new plan to go in effect until later in the year because perhaps they're on a plan they want to keep until later in the year, they don't need to do anything at this moment. If they're on a plan that is grandfathered, then they're very fortunate. They may still want to change because it's possible their plan may not cover everything they need it to do. But a lot of people do not have to be making a change right this moment. But if they do... They need to stop feeling like they're getting bombarded. Call an agent or broker, say, this is my situation. Do I need to do something right now, or is this something Mm -hmm. that I can deal with later on in 2014? Okay, and there would be another good example. If you contact June and she says, well, your policy is good till, uh, you know, June 15th, and you're uh, – sorry for picking on your name as a month, but, uh, uh, okay, let me use July 15th, and uh, then you probably are not going to want to spend a lot of time giving them quotes of what it's likely to be at that point. Uh, they probably just need to wait until they're closer to their uh, expiration date before they start working with you to uh, to do something new just because of the time demands on you. So I'm just kind of forewarning our listeners – that uh, agents, brokers are, are going to be in very, very high demand over the next few days, especially when people start to understand what we're telling you today, that if you are affected, you need to act quickly or even like literally yesterday to uh, get a plan in place because it does take a little while to get it through underwriting. So uh, that is uh, a great tip, and um, I'm sorry that you're not more optimistic than me about this all working out positively and everybody's rates going down, but I guess we've both done a little bit of research. I truly, truly hope it does. Yeah, no, I do too. It's just unfortunately, the, you know, the more research we do, uh, the less optimistic I get that it is going to be the case. So it's it's it's, it's unfortunate from that standpoint. But uh, June, really appreciate your time on this. Uh, I'm not going to try to get you on again, uh, you know, before the year end, just because of uh, I think we're just going to have to count on listeners to contact me and to contact you with some of their questions, uh, but they will be dealing with it quickly. But I'm sure as we progress, we're going to want to get you back on here, and hopefully we didn't abuse you and uh, take your time, uh, make it, uh, you know, too painful for you, and you will join us again. I would be delighted to, and I have enjoyed the time. It's gone very quickly. Oh, it sure does. Appreciate that, June. So thank you for joining us. Thank you, And let you, me just Ron. take a a moment to summarize with uh, with our listeners here. We're co- we've covered a lot of aspects regarding health care and uh, reform in you, and I certainly hope that it will either help you in selecting a new health insurance policy, 
help reduce your tax bill, or start to, to define the strategy. How are you going to gain in your portfolio, in your investments, uh, in picking the healthcare winners or minimize the losses uh, due to the losers in this game? Now, it's only a shame we can't buy options, you know, financial options on the additional cost to the insured and the taxpayers. We certainly could make a handsome profit. If you missed our past shows on options, we had the options lady talking about it. So you'll want to go back. And we also talked about uh, options and hedging uh, sometime earlier. Uh, I guess it would have been probably October of last year. So we do have done shows on options if you don't know what I'm talking about there. But we can't do them on taxpayers, unfortunately. We would make a lot of money. Now, here on the Wealth DNA Radio Show, we, we focus on the fundamentals of investing and, and thus topics that will be important to investors today as well as 5 or 20 years from now. So in some ways, today's show is a bit unusual in that regard since it's a topic that requires action literally in the next few days. Fortunately, I knew June, and I took action uh, already in the last month, and it's taken a while to get through all of the um, process, but it does sound like it's well underway. But if you get your policy in place this year, you might just save yourself a few thousand dollars, which could be a big, big benefit just for listening for one hour. On the other hand, this show is very consistent with our theme on fundamentals, because the changes that take place today with the Affordable Care Act will affect your portfolio wherever you live for years to come. If you can recognize the industries will be winners and those will be losers as a result of the change in legislation. Now, from the comments you heard today from our guests and even my own humble opinion, it would indicate these changes will not be positive for the typical U.S. citizen, definitely not for the U.S. taxpayer. Some people will gain, many will pay more. For listeners in the U.S. who may not be aware of how the national health care programs operate in other countries, you either haven't lived there or even if you live there you didn't pay attention since you did, they didn't apply to you, let me just share one example, and it's not picked out to be the worst example, which might shed some light on why I'm concerned about this shift toward a federally mandated health care plan. You see, soon after the 10 new countries entered the European Union in 2010, the countries at that time we called New Europe, there were restrictions on workers from those new entries to take jobs in the existing EU countries because of a large wage differential. Several of the earlier members actually allowed an exemption to those phased worker visa rules, and they said, hey, we welcome uh, people from those new countries. A good friend of mine who had her own dental practice in Poland decided to close her practice and move to the U.K., since she received an offer from the UK's National Healthcare Administration to move there as a dentist working for them. She explained that her income would triple, her working hours would decrease dramatically because she worked kind of day and night in a private practice, and there she would have an eight-hour day. And despite the higher cost of housing, it appeared to be and has been a very positive career mood, a move. Excuse me. Now, why did the UK invite her and thousands of other dentists to move to the UK? Certainly, they have dentists in the UK, and these couldn't be better. Well, at that point in time, the average client signing up for their routine cleaning, their routine dental cleaning, would have to wait three years. Can you imagine going in today and they telling you that, uh, yes, we can get you in in October of 2016? so much for every six months. So once you scheduled your appointment for routine cleanings over the next three years, I suggested to friends in the UK, they might include them in their will so they can pass them on to their heirs. So the effect on the medical profession might indeed be positive because there will be uh, lots of uh, more people willing to work for the government and provide health care, but the effect on patients might be a very long wait so the next time you hear politicians offering change, it might be a good idea to understand what change they're likely to implement, if it's indeed a change for the better, and more specifically, better for whom. Very often, it's better for them, not for you. We'll never have enough time in these fairly intense radio shows to cover every aspect related to these topics, so I encourage you to send additional questions to me, Ron, at WealthDNA.us. I'll forward these questions to our guests and also give you my views. Now, regular listeners to the WealthDNA radio show know that our objective here is to help one million people become millionaires. And certainly one of your highest priorities to continue to earn money and effectively manage your portfolio is your own health. 
as we all realize, sometimes too late, the one time where we aren't healthy, we can't help people we care most about. We need help from them. So to increase the chances that you and other listeners will be among those millionaires or multimillionaires, I share my experience as well as many of our talented guests who bring their experience. And one of the best ways to increase your wealth is to tune into this show twice a month. We'll share the investment fundamentals, share some great ideas, and help diversify and grow your portfolio. On our upcoming shows, we'll have experts on self-directed IRAs, annuities, and we'll be finding an analyst at, or maybe two to talk about the winners and losers from the non-affordable Care Act now being implemented in the U.S. The next Wealth DNA Radio Show, second Monday of December, that's Monday, December 9th, 9 a.m. Arizona, same place, same time. As usual, we provide the lineup of guests and topics on WealthDNA.us, and uh, there you'll find an archive of past shows. If you have some comments on today's show, suggestions, additional questions, or if you haven't received my emails reminding you about this show, just send me an email, ron at WealthDNA.us. We'll keep you posted about the future shows and events. Now, happy investing, and make sure your health insurance choices are done very wisely. You've been listening to Wealth DNA with Ron Naraki on Arizona Boomer Radio. Arizona Boomer Radio is produced by the Boomer and the Babe Incorporated and can be heard Monday through Friday. You can sign up for their online magazine at boomerandthebabe.com. To reach the Boomer and the Babe, email host at boomerandthebabe.com or friend them on facebook.com slash boomerandbabe. And on Blog Talk, you can friend them at blogtalkradio.com slash boomerandbabe. Follow their tweets at twitter.com slash boomerandbabe. Be sure to make the second half of your life the best half of your life. And remember, at 50, you're just getting started. <laughs>